Good afternoon, TLC. Welcome to Sunday service. We are so happy to have you guys here to worship. So good to see brothers and sisters gathering in our live service to this morning uh, to give God the worship that he deserves. I am uh, I'm here to preach this message for you. You know, in the year 2020, we found ourselves uh, at TLC thriving, actually, in a lot of ways. I could probably make the argument that 2020 on paper was probably one of our best years we've ever had as a community here, as a, as a people of God, right? And, and to be honest, that, that, that reality, that, that truth can only be attested by all of the amazing leadership and volunteer leadership that we have here at TLC because we knew from the start that, you know, we, TLC was not meant to be just a community that puts all of its eggs into a worship service, even though we try our best to create the best worship service possible to honor God, right? But we knew from the, from the get-go that TLC is meant to be a community that gathers together, that, that does missions together, that disciples uh, one another, that actually gathers to worship in, in big functions and smaller groups. And so we knew that when COVID hit and worship was kind of taken out, live service was taken out, we wouldn't be destroyed or be uh, broken because we have all these other areas that God is using and working through us. So we got to give a lot of props and a lot of love to our leaders who have been out there uh, stressing for the past year serving the people. So um, thank you so much for your tireless energy in that. And Honestly, 2021 is going to be even a better year, I believe, because 2021, our, our hope and our goal is to see a, a lot of our leaders creating a deeper and more intimate relationship with their people and actually to create a more of a, uh, an atmosphere to facilitate deeper relationship among people. So look forward to that, everyone else, else out there. Uh, 2021 will be a year of really deep restoration and relationship, you know. But as good as 2020 was, I would be amiss to not point out that 2020 was also a year of intellectual, moral, spiritual, um, emotional walls that we built up as a Christian community, right? I would be amiss not to talk about these things and point it out because 2020, what we saw was we saw, we saw people within the Christian community creating dividing lines among their families and among their friends. We saw in 2020 that there were calls from the Christian community to, to isolate and to mute, right, people who had different opinions from them. We saw in 2020 that there was a, 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 a year where there was dangerous rhetoric on, I, on either side of the aisle. We saw that in 2020 there was this escalating vitriol of words and hate coming from the Christian community. And the funny thing was the leadership, we got together and we surveyed this landscape and we thought about it and we said, you know what, at the heart of the gospel in which we are servants of, at the heart of this gospel is a man who died for his enemies. At the heart of the gospel which we serve, which we give our allegiance to, is a man who died for his enemies, a man who brought together those who were diametrically opposed from him from the religious right all the way to the liberal left, he brought them together. And if that's the God that we serve, the leaders were thinking, how can it be that his people have drawn lines between family and friends? How can it be if that's the God that we serve, a man who died for his enemies, that we as a people have muted each other out of different opinions? How can it be then that we have so much hate 
in our words and in our actions. And so as leaders thought about this and as leaders came together and prayed about this, the conclusion was we probably forgotten our foundation or we lost sight of the foundation of what the gospel is meant to be and what the truth of who our God is. We've lost sight of that. We've given ourselves over to the cultural narrative. And so we have this series in 2021, right? We want 2021 to be a year of walls being broken down, a year where we go beyond our walls, a year of restoration of these relationships, right? And the only way that we felt like it was possible to do that is that we got to go back to the foundation of our faith. We got to go back to the foundation of reminding us what our faith calls you as a believer to do. And, you know, if you're here and you're new and you're a family, you're a friend uh, to the community, and you're thinking, like, I want to just want to know what Christianity is about, this series is designed to help you understand this is the heart of the Christian message. Please do not judge God based on the actions of the church and its people. Sometimes the people lose sight of the message of God. And so this series was designed to help us restore our foundation and understand the heart of the gospel message. So we've talked about a couple things so far. We've talked about, uh, one, we all believe in something. We all believe in something. And that you need a God or a truth that is big enough, that is big enough than the one you actually have to account for all the moral intuitions that you have in reality. Your, your ideas of justice and, and right and wrong. You need a God that's big enough to actually handle that. And on top of that, you need a God, a truth big enough to handle the life's biggest questions of suffering, of, of beauty, of hope, of passion. And the argument was this. In Christianity, Christianity offers that resource. Christianity offers that to the world. In Christianity, there's a Savior God big enough to account for the moral reality that you live, and there's a God big enough to account for the deepest longings and deepest questions that you have as a person, right? And last week, we talked about, can this God be found then? Can we actually find this God? And the Bible says, yes, we can, that he's not some sort of far away off God that is impersonal to the people around them, but he is a God who at every moment is creating, is creating um, events, orchestrating reality so that we would turn our side from our day-to-day grind and encounter him. But encounter him in such a way where we're not trying to make God into whatever we want, but to encounter him and to realize he is a God that is going to transform us into who we were meant to be. That there is a God out there who is both powerful and yet intimate, who is both strong and yet personal, wanting to connect with us and change us for the good. See, the Bible tells us there is a God that speaks to our deepest longings and he can be found in Jesus Christ. And so today I want to share with you guys uh, another foundational message, which is you can't talk about Christianity if you don't talk about what the Bible says is wrong with us, right? The foundational message I want to share with you today is that we all messed up, right? 
And although God can be found, we have to understand what is wrong with us. See, human beings do a lot of bad things, a lot of evil things, right? And the question is why? Why is it that human beings do the violence and the, 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 the atrocities that we see day to day? Why is that? See, a sociologist would say to you, if you oppress people long enough, then the people will respond with violence. If you, if you, if you create an unjust social condition long enough, then that would create violence as a reaction to that un unjust social system. Yes? Tupac Shakir once said, and I quote, And still I see no changes. Can a brother get a little peace? There's war in the streets and war in the Middle East. Instead of war on poverty, they got a war on drugs so the police can bother me. Right? If you guys are at home, you're like, who is Tupac Shakir? He is a poet. He is one of the originals. Right? If you, do, if you do know who Tupac Shakir is, that's from his song called Changes. Okay? And, and, and the, the idea is, if we oppress people long enough, they're going to respond with violence. But here's the question. The only problem with that answer of why people do bad things is, what made the oppressors oppressive then? If the oppressors never been oppressed, and most of the times they're not, right, what made them oppressive? What made them turn to evil of oppressing other people? See, sociology doesn't give you the full answer to why people act in violence. If you talk to a psychologist, they would say, if you abandon a person, abuse a person, neglect a person, not show love to a person long enough, that creates the perfect storm leading them to a life to do horrific things, right? That's also true, but it's also true that there are a lot of people who do horrific things who never had abandonment issues, who never had bad upbringings, who never were abused, who never had that type of background. See, psychology can't answer the big question of why we do what we do, what's wrong with us, why we mess up. There's no answer to that in the things we try. We, we try, but there isn't. But what may, may I ask is, what if these conditions, this oppressive condition, these abusive abandonment conditions, don't create the evil, but they, they magnify. These conditions magnify what's already there in your heart. What if these conditions aren't what creates the evil, but magnifies the evil that's there. You know, I mean, uh, let me share with you a quick story. In 1961, as a way of introduction, in 1961, Adolf Eichmann, who had been the lieutenant colonel SS officer in the German army, who was the mastermind of the Jewish Holocaust, mastermind of the concentration ca death camps, right? Adolf Eichmann, 1961, he was captured and put on child in 1961. It was televised, okay? And there was a man named Nahil Denur who was a death camp survivor, and he was brought in to testify against Adolf Eichmann. And in televised form, the moment Denier walked in, Mr. Denier walked in, and he saw Eichmann sitting on that podium, the man fell, fainted, collapsed, cried on the ground at that very moment, right? It was televised, very dramatic sense. And 22 years later, in 1983, Mike Wallace from CNN brought together all of these um, Holocaust survivors, right, and, and asked, and he brought in um, Nahir Denir, and he asked them, hey, man, look at this video. 22 years ago, you collapsed in front of Eichmann. 
You, you seem to be so overcome with emotions, right? You, you seem to be overcome at that moment. What were you overcome with? Was it hate? Was it fear? What did you feel? Right? And check this out. He, um, Mr. De Niro's response was shocking. It shocked even Mike Wallace, right? This is what he said. He said, when I came in and saw Eichmann sitting there in that booth, I realized this was not a demon. This was not some out-of-the-ordinary person. I came to the realization that this man is an ordinary man just like me. And if he's capable of this, so am I. And I quote, this is what Eichmann said. This, this is what Denier said. He said, Eichmann is in all of us. I collapsed because I was facing the reality of what I could be. And the Bible says that's absolutely right. So my question for you this morning is this. Have you truly faced yourself? Have you looked in the mirror and really looked at your heart and the motivation of your heart? Do you know what's inside of it? Do you have any idea what's down there? And do you even know what to do with it once you figure it out? Okay? See, if you grasp the biblical doctrine, the biblical foundation of sin, then you will be able to carry out all these things. You will be able to face yourself in the mirror. You will be able to know what's in your heart. And you will be able to know what to do with that. Right? If you understand the biblical foundation of sin. And that's what we're going to talk about today. That's the foundation that I want to address to you today for you to realize this. Because Eichmann is in all of us. The man who created the concentration death camps that killed millions of Jews. Such a man's heart is in all of us. And so if you want to know where do we go to learn about sin in the Bible, the most fundamental place you would go is the story of the original sin. The temptation of humanity by the spiritual rebel, right, in the form of a serpent. And it's a great place to, long, to learn what's wrong with us. And I, when, I, when I was writing this message, I had three points, like I always have, right? Um, the three points that we're going to talk about was the root of sin, the essence of sin, and the signs of sin. But I, as I was writing it, it turned out to be about 12 pages long. So we're only going to do the first point today, which is the root of sin, Okay? The root of sin. I want to share with you the root of sin. And I want you guys to be honest and listen, okay? Because it's one point, just focus with me. And listen and understand. Because if you understand what is at the heart of why you do what you do, then you can understand why people do what they do. Then you can understand and have humility to deal with the differences of why people act the way they do. And not jump to judgment not jump with arrogance, and not look and condemn people when you yourself understand at the root of heart, your heart is the same things at their heart. So if you open your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 to 17. Now some of you guys at home are like, one point. Woo-hoo. Right? There's a reason why it's only one point right now. Because it's five pages. <laughs> Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 to 17. We're going to read those two verses, then we're going to jump to verse, chapter 3, verses 4 to 5, okay? Let's, uh, let's, let's, 
Let's read the word of God together. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 to 17, and chapter 3, verses 4 to 5. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Chapter 3, verses 4 to 5. This is the serpent speaking to Eve. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Right? What is the root of sin? What is the root of why we do what we do? What is the root of why there is violence and destruction in the human spirit? What is the root of why there is so much evil that's lurking there? What is the root of what goes on in the things around us? When we look at the cultural narrative of this world and we see people's reaction and action, what is the root of why they do what they do? And so we got to see this first, okay? What we see in the beginning is that in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, God said what? Earlier, God says, you can eat any tree you want. Just don't eat this one, right? Do you know that's heaven? Heaven is only one command, not like ten commands, not like the thousands of commands that we think we have now. That's heaven, only one command. Eat whatever you want. Just don't eat this one because when you do, you will surely die, Right? That's what God says. And then the serpent says to the first human, he says, no, you won't die. You will, you will be able to know. Your eyes will be open. And this is the serpent's message. You got to understand this. The serpent's message is this. And the serpent, let me just give a quick, um, the serpent later on is addressed in the New Testament as the devil himself. He is the first rebellion against God, the first rebel against God who came down to pretty much he wanted to eradicate humanity because he saw humanity as a waste of time. He saw that God's creation of humanity was just low, was beneath all the heavenly beings, was, was, wasn't worth the time. He's like, we are spiritual beings, and God, you made cockroaches, and you made them equal to us. Ain't going to happen. I'm going to trick them, I am going to tempt them, and I'm going to get them so they will rebel against you so that you would have to wipe them out. Right? And this is what he says. This is his, 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 his message to Eve and Adam. He said, if you obey God, he'll keep you down. If you submit to him, you won't be happy. Isn't that something that we often feel when we think about God and think about what he's asking us to do? Right? If I obey him, he's going to keep me down. He's just trying to not let me experience my sense of freedom. If I obey him, if I submit to him, I'm not going to be happy. I'm just going to be grumbling my whole entire life. See, serpent's message to Eve and to Adam was God will hold you back. He will keep you from the things that you need and the things that you want. If you eat from this tree, you're going to be better, not worse. Your eyes will be open. Your horizons will be expanded. You're going to be the better version of you. Sounds familiar? What was the strategy of the devil, of Satan, of the serpent. Check this out. If you want to understand the strategy, right, notice that Satan wasn't trying to get Adam and Eve to question their belief in God, right? 
He didn't say, don't believe in God. God's not real. He's not there. He's not, he's not, he's not around for you. He didn't try to get them to question their belief in God. He didn't make them question God's existence, which is kind of true today because you see a lot of people that are very spiritual. And if you ask people, they'll say, yeah, I believe in God, right, in a very kind of nuanced way, in a very kind of ethereal way. I, yeah, I believe in a higher power or something out there. What is the serpent targeting? What was his strategy? Because I need you to pay attention. You need to see his strategy because it could be, it could be, church, that you've already fallen into it. I need you to understand his strategy because it probably is already the reality of your life because the serpent's strategy was not to get you to question your belief in God. What did he get you to do? Look at the original command. The original command was eat from any tree. Chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Eat from any tree, just not this one. That was God's command. But notice that God never told Adam and Eve why. Okay? He never told Adam and Eve why he's giving them this command. He told them what would happen if they didn't do it, but he never told them why he's giving them this command. He doesn't tell them, if you eat of this, you will destroy all human race, right, and bring forth an endless cycle of pain and misery for the rest of the world. Doesn't explain any of that. He just says, don't eat of this tree. You can have anything you want, just don't eat of this tree. God never explained why he's giving humanity this commandment. And you know why? Do you know why? Because this. Because if you were to obey me simply because you saw that it was good for you, then you wouldn't be obeying me. You would be obeying out of a self-interest complicity. You would be obeying because you would think, oh, it's a win-win situation. This benefits me. See, if you knew why, then you would just simply go along with it in obedience to God. Not because of God, but because simply you think it would benefit you in the long run. See, God is saying, I'm not going to tell you why to obey me. I want you to obey me simply because you love me. I want you to obey me simply because you trust me. Obey me just because you know that I love you. Have you ever had that situation? I remember when, um, when I was uh, in, in, in uh, and I shared the story a million times. It's the only story that I have, right? But, but um, I remember when I, when I was about to break up with Trisha, right, in, in that season when she was an unbeliever and I was, you know, a young believer. And I didn't understand the nuances of why I can't date a non-believer, why the, the difficulties of spiritual legacy, the difficulties of, of two households being underneath, um, uh, the, the, the differences of having one who follows God and one who doesn't. I didn't understand the nuance. I wasn't, I wasn't mature enough to kind of grasp that. But all I got from the scripture was this. I remember I was reading through Luke, and it was just like, do you love me more than this? Do you love me more than your father, your mother? Do you love me? And I was like, ah, I do. I do, Lord. Right? At least I say I do. But, and I kept asking in my heart, why? Why are you asking me to do this? He could have easily told me, 
I want you to see. He could have came down giving me a vision of my future, of what my children would look like, of what the legacy after my children would look like. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good reason for me to obey you and not be with Trisha. But I wouldn't be obeying God because I love him. I would be obeying God because it, complicitly it would actually benefit me. You see the difference? See, we think God is trying to give us some sort of win-win situation. That's what we try to do with God all the time. But he, in the original command to Adam and Eve, said this. I'm not going to tell you why not to eat from it. But I want you to simply obey me because you trust me. I want you to simply obey me because you love me. I want you to simply obey me because you know that I love you. And that is the lie that Satan is after. That is the strategy that Satan is playing. He's trying to destroy their trust in God. Not their belief in God, but their trust in God. Satan is saying this. God is not looking out for your best. Satan is saying if you obey him, he's going to hold you down. You can't trust God. You can't trust the love of God. You're on your own in this world. You have to take your life into your own hand. You'll never be happy if you obey him thoroughly. And that's the lie that's passed down to every human heart. It's in mine. It's in yours. Whether you're religious or you're not religious, that's in your heart. Whether you believe in God or not, that's in your heart. Whether you are a moral or immoral person, that is the root of why we do what we do. That is the lie at the heart of us that God cannot be trusted, that God cannot be for our good, that God is holding us down, that God is not for us, that God does not love us, that God seeks to make us, make our lives miserable, right? And so I got I to ask all my brothers and sisters out there who believe in God, who calls upon him as your Savior. I, I want to ask you, if I ask you the question, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you, do you know what I will get from you oftentimes? I would probably get, yes, of course, PT. I mean, in a very, you know, dogmatic, systematic, and robotic way, yes, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. But then my follow-up question is this, but do you trust him? But do you trust him? Because let me know if I'm wrong, because what I see oftentimes on your Twitter, on your social media pages, on your rhetoric, on the way you address people, and the way you deal with things, what I see is your lip service saying, I believe in God, but your heart saying, but this is what I think about sex. This is what I think about relationship. This is my definition of marriage. This is my definition of happiness. This is my definition of sexuality. This is how I define life. This is what love is supposed to look like. This is how I treat people that to defer from me. This is how I treat my enemies, how to raise my children, how to think about my money, how to think about my future. You give God lip service that you believe in God, but your heart is far from him because when it comes to the question of do you trust him, do you trust him, we see the total opposite. How arrogant and how hypocritical. I'm not talking about brothers and sisters who struggle here. I'm not talking about if you struggle in obedience to God, because I can deal with struggles. I can deal with battles. I can deal with you fighting the good fight. But what is nonsensical, what does not make sense across the board, is you offer lip service and say, I believe in God, and yet I do not trust him with my life. 
And that's so funny because you think that maybe I'm not under the hands of Satan, but that was Satan's original lie to humanity, and that's the lie oftentimes I see that we're caught up in. Oh, would you wake up and open your eyes and look at yourself in the mirror. Do you recognize this about yourself? Do you recognize at the heart of what you say and do? The Bible is so right when it speaks to us. It says, you offer me, you worship me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Have you opened your eyes and looked in the mirror and recognized deep in your heart that the lie has already perpetuated into your very soul? Oh God, would you wake up your church? Would you wake up, sleepy church of mine, and see the reality that though you say, I believe with my lips, your heart has already served its true master? You see, why is it that there, why is it that in 2020 we saw such huge dividing lines across the Christian faith? You know why? You know why? It's because for some reason, though your lips say, I believe in you, God, but what I think is right is this. What I trust to be my truth is this. What I trust to define me is this. What I trust to make my life move forward is this. If you would only see the root of your own heart, that arrogance would not be there. If you would open your eyes and look in the mirror and see the heart that you have, the lie that you have held on to, you would recognize the arrogance of it. Or that you would wake up and take a good look at your heart. Because you say you believe, but there is no trust. There is no love. See, if I ask you the question, hey, church, do you believe in God? That Jesus is your Lord and Savior? I'm not gonna, never going to get an answer that's no. If you're honest, maybe. Most of the time I would hear, yes, of course, I believe in God. I believe in God. But do you trust him? Do you trust him in your life? Do you trust him when he asks certain things of you? Do you trust him? Not to give you the why, but do you trust him simply because he loves you? Would you just do it simply because it is the right thing to do? And if, and if, Things do not work out for you in your trust for him. Would you still trust him? See, because that's the lie that Satan gives to his people. He's not trying to get you to question your belief. He's getting you to, trust, to question your trust in God. Oh, that you would repent, church. Repentance is simply saying, I'm not going to... Turn a blind eye to those areas in my life that I've kept so long in my own rule and my own authority. I'm going to come at those places now and actually begin the battle and the struggle with God in this area. I'm going to turn to those areas of relationship with money, with family, with love, with, with anger. I'm going to turn to those areas and I'm actually going to bring it before God. And I'm no longer going to tell myself, I'm going to run this thing. I'm going to do this thing. I have in control. I know what it is. But I'm going to say, oh God, you speak and I will obey. Not because I know the future. Not because I know what's good for me. But simply because I trust you. That right there, guys. That is okay. 
That is real maturity. That is real Christianity. That is real growth. Otherwise, all you have is Adam and Eve before a serpent in the garden being forced to question the trust of their God. Man, it breaks my heart sometimes to think about it. That though we give lip service to God, now our hearts are so far from him. Would you be honest and look in your heart and see that? That's just to all my church peeps, right? But all those of you guys who are maybe here, your friends and family, maybe you're not a big believer. You don't even know who God is. But can I I ask you this? To all those who are here to understand the heart of Christianity, let let me share this with you. Let me show you what the Bible says is the reason why we do what we do. Let me paint it in the picture. At the deep level of our heart, it's like this. It's like a father taking his son into this humongous toy, toy store, right? And as he's walking his son into the store, he's telling his son, son, look at that toy. Isn't that amazing? And the son says, yes, that's so awesome, dad. So he walks him a little further. Son, look at this thing. Isn't that so amazing? Yes, look at those games. I can't. Oh, my gosh, Dad. Really? Because the son's anticipating it, and Dad's walking him down the aisle. He's like, look at all these sports equipment. Oh, my goodness, Dad. We're going to start playing. He's excited. He's excited. And Dad walks him out the store, bends the knee, look at the kid's eye, and said, now you're not going to get any of that. Sorry. At the heart of every person on earth essentially believes This is what God is like. That he's not for you. And until you can understand that about your heart, you probably won't understand why you act the way you do. We do evils that we do because our heart's journey says, I can't trust God, so I'll take my journey into my own hands and do as I see fit for ultimately my personal self-interest. And we see that snowball all the time into what starts as pure and nice and cute, turn into something that's horrific, dangerous, ugly, painful. See, at the heart of every human being is this picture. I don't think God can be trusted. So I will take my destiny into my own hands. And what looks good for a little while, what looks pleasing to the eye for a little while, bears its true reality one generation, two generations, three generations down. Things that you cannot even imagine your choices will happen begins to happen. And you begin to say, I didn't mean for it to be that way, but you open the door for it. I I didn't want my grandchildren to act that way, but you opened the door for it when your heart said, I will not trust God to bring flourishing to my life. I will trust my intuition. I will trust my cultural narrative. I will trust my truth. And so we get what we get. Do you see that, church? That is the heart of why we do what we do. It is the root of all sins on earth. It is in your heart, it's in my heart. Right? And I know the question you're asking is, well, but what assurance do I have to trust him? What assurance do I have, PT, to actually obey him, 
though I do not see the future or know what's going to happen? What assurance do I have that he can be trusted? What assurance do I have that he actually loves me? What assurance do I have that I can actually give my allegiance and my obedience to him? And the only answer I give to you, the only answer I have to give to you is Jesus Christ. Jesus on the cross for you. Can I share with you a quick story to illustrate this? Um, Enoch's been copying his brother a lot, right? And, and then Seth's been watching a bunch of YouTube channels. And so he's been doing this thing called a trust fall. He doesn't know the trust fall. You hold back and you just kind of fall. So Seth is very good. I think he trusts me completely. So when he stands by the bed and he does this, I say, fall. And he just falls, right? Even when I, even when I kind of delay the fall. I mean, like, I, I wanted to see if he really trusts me or he's kind of playing around with it, right? So I delay the fall and he still does. He just, and he just falls. And I catch him. But Enoch... Oh, my, Enoch. I said, Enoch, trust fall. He said, yeah, daddy. He stands, right? And, and I'm like, and I don't let him see me. I, I hold him right here. I said, hands up. He's like, and I said, fall. And you know what he does? He grabs back. He's like, grabs my hand real fast. He said, no. I said, trust me, man. I got you, right? Go. And he's like, and he, and he doesn't, right? And then eventually when he finally does fall, he kind of does like this little ball for it. And he rolls down, which is really weird, you know? And I look at that, and I'm like, bro. Right? That's kind of sad, man. Right? I'm your dad. You should trust me, you know? But here's the thing. When we played Nerf gun in the house, right, I remember one time Seth was shooting us all the time with, 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 with the gun. And one time I jumped in front of Enoch. I was like, no. And the bullet hit me, right? And then, you know, Enoch was like, ah. Right? And then he looked down. And I was, I was like, pretending like I'm dying. Like, oh, for you, Enoch, Right? And he leans over and he kisses me. He's like, thank you, daddy. Right? And I was like, that's right. I'll take a bullet for you. You can trust me. Right? And that's, I mean, I'm sorry. That's the best illustration I got. We can trust him. We can trust our God because of the cross. We can trust our God because of the cross. Because in spite of our doubts and even our hatred and our lack of trust for him, he went to the cross and was all in for us. To show us that his love is real, not just with words. He didn't give lip service the way we give lip service. He didn't just say, I love them. He says, I will show them. I will give my life as an offering for theirs. Because their lack of trust in you, Father, has led them down a road that they will eventually die. Their lack of trust and love for you, Father, has made them live a cycle of pain and misery that is getting worse and worse. But I will break them out of it. I will die in their place to break them from that cycle. And it's only when you understand that the bullet was meant for you. And he took it for you. And that he was willing to take it for you. Will that move your heart to recognize, I can trust him. Though I do not know what may come, I will trust him. Though I don't understand why he defines marriage this way, I will trust him and live and seek for a spouse in such a way. Though I do not understand why he calls me to seek my future with this vision in mind, because I know of his love for me, I can trust him. Though I do not understand 
the picture and the, the, and, and the future of the legacies of what happened. If I raise my children in such, such, such a way or I build my relationship in such and such a way, I will start it because I can trust him. For he went to the cross for me. And not only did he went to the cross for you, his resurrection shows you that, he, that you can trust him and that you can love him. The cross shows you that you can love him, and the resurrection shows you that you can trust him. The resurrection tells us what I say is true, children. What I tell you is true, children. What I say will bring life. What I say will bring flourishing. What I tell you to step into, to act in obedience, it will not kill you. It is hard. It is difficult. It is, it is unnatural to you. But I promise you that if you would walk that way, it will bring life. How can I trust you? Because I came back from the dead. I told you I would come back, and here I am. You can trust what I have to tell you because I've done the impossible. What is the foundation of why we do what we do? It is the root of sin in our hearts. It is the root that tells us that we cannot trust our God. Whether you voted for him or not, Biden is your president, right? And the best thing that you can do is pray for him. If you don't trust him, but you can trust in your God who works through all things. Amen? You can trust in the God who runs the world. That doesn't matter who is in charge, who authority is there. He is still the one that has conquered the world. And you can trust him. And though riots and pains and evil and words can fly around all over the place, you don't have to be one of those people that gives into the narrative of the world. But you can be one of them who stands in foundation of truth and say, I can trust my God. Church, there were seasons where there were nations who fed Christians to tigers and lions for sports. We're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Wherever side of the aisle you're on, as long as you do not forget that the heart of why everyone does what they do is a lack of trust in God. And the only solution is the cross of Jesus Christ helping you to stand firm on the promise, I can trust God if I would follow his word, if I would trust in what he says to me, if I would love him enough to believe that he is for me. Let's pray.